Well, this morning I'm going to continue, and we're going to get right into it. We're going to continue our series, uh, Let's Take Our Job Back. And if you haven't heard these messages, or ha- you're going to need to go back and catch up and follow along. But we've been really just looking at what's the purpose of Christianity, and what are we supposed to do as a church, and are we doing... Are we practicing Christianity the way that Jesus designed it to be practiced all those thousands of years ago? And and the short answer in all of that is not really. (laughs) There's lots of things that we're we're missing. And I think there's lots of things that as Christians we've abdicated, uh, as the church has abdicated. And that's why we call this series, Let's Take Our Job Back, is because I think from the very beginning. We've had responsibilities from from the beginning that the early church did, especially in the first three centuries, did really, really well and effectively and and all the way up until this time. And somehow throughout COVID, this is where I kind of started having these questions myself. COVID came along and and I suddenly saw pastors panicking over the idea that governments were shutting down our ability to meet together in you know on a weekly basis and I'm thinking is this what the church is have we just reduced ourselves to a social club that meets once a week because that's not the church that I see modeled in the book of Acts that's not what I see Jesus you know teaching and training his disciples to do that I I was like somehow somehow we're missing it if we're, we're not just a weekly gathering we're not just a social club there's so much more and how do we get back to what was I've done a an extensive amount of research and study, not into what the early church believed. I've read lots of books on that. I've read lots of books on theology. I, I, I didn't want to you know, restudy what the church believed. I wanted to study and learn what the church did and, and what, did, what was their behaviors, not just what they taught, but what did they do? What was their actions? And I, and I wanted to see what their actions were, not just in services. I did find out, surprisingly, some of the services from as early as the second century. And as the reported came, as reports came back, the services looked remarkably similar to our services today. And I was like, okay, they met weekly, but what did they do Monday to Saturday? What was the church all about? What was, Christi- what was Christianity all about? And surprised to find out that there was a lot of things that I think we need to kind of reignite. And that's the purpose of this series is kind of reigniting in us. And we've been really learning that the church exists, not not to bring the world into the light, but the church exists to be the light in the city. And specifically, I think all throughout scriptures, and again, I, I don't have time today to explain all this. You're going to have to go back and listen to this. But all throughout, there's so many scriptures that we've looked at in this series that, that you're going to want to study it out. But it is a remarkable to me how many times in the Bible God and Jesus and, and the, the early church apostles and the prophets of old, all of them emphasize that, that as believers in God, that we are called to redeem cities, restore cities, redeem cities, rebuild cities, and restore homes. And I, that kind of caught me off guard, to be honest, to looking at this. But when the focus is on a, a, a transforming a city, this is when the church has always been, has been at, at its best. When we're not focused on building castles, we're not focused on denominations, when we're focused on rebuilding cities, restoring homes. And to learn this, okay, to learn this, 
we've been looking at, at Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is a, a, an entire book in the Bible dedicated to, to uh, you know, a man that rebuilt a city. And it's just a story of a man who rebuilt Jerusalem. And I, I read Nehemiah this time different than I've ever read it before. And I read it for the principles that, that we can learn from Nehemiah on how to rebuild cities and restore homes, looking for principles in here that are transferable to today. And I want to pick up where we left off last week and in chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to, we're going to start at verse 17 and, and follow along. And verse 17, this, we read this last week. It says, Nehemiah says, Then I said to them, You see the bad situation we are in. We learned last week that Nehemiah investigated and studied this, the city and, and saw the ruins and he had to see it for himself. He didn't just believe what was told him. He had to go and visually see it and investigate it himself. And he wasn't naive and he wasn't, he wasn't uh, you know, ignoring the realities. He was very realistic, very truthful. And he comes back and he says, you see the bad situation. The city has been in ruins at this time for 70 years. It hasn't been rebuilt because the scope of how bad it is. So Nehemiah comes in and he goes, I'm not going to ignore that it's bad. He's like, you see it's bad. He says, you see this, the bad situation we're in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we are no longer be a reproach. It will no longer be a disgrace. Right? So he says, you see it's bad? <laughs> it's, it's, it's mess. It's a mess. But then he doesn't even hesitate. He's like, it's really bad, guys, but come, let's rebuild. Right, and I love that because, because they're just like, okay, it's going to take some work. It's really bad. Let's go get, and that's what we talked about at church. Like, we're, we're not called, I, I don't think as parallel church, that we're not called to bring the next revival or the, all the rest of it. All I know is, is we can see the situation of our city. We can see the situation of our, we can say the situation of our country. We can see the situation of our world. And we can go, while well, we can throw our hands up and going, it's bad. There's nothing we can do. Or we can throw, our, you know, or we can acknowledge it's bad and going, let's go to work. Let's go to work. Let's not be a disgrace anymore. We can see the situation of the global church and we can go, well, we're just Lethbridge. Like we're just, we're just, one church. What can we do? We can see it, and we can say, let's rebuild. Let's discover for ourselves. Let's find out for ourselves. We're not pointing fingers at anybody else. No, no, no. We're, in fact, in this series, we've been pointing fingers at ourselves and saying, we're a disgrace. We haven't done this right. So come, let us rebuild. Then let's take our job back. Then he says in verse 18, I told them how the hand of my God has been favorable to me and also about the king's words, which he, uh, he had spoken to me. Did you know we, we've been preaching this, this series for a couple months now? And we haven't, I don't know, we haven't made this real, it's online and all the rest of it, it's, it's public, we haven't made a big big deal of it but I this is just I want you to know that this little shift and we're, we don't have it all figured out and we're still trying to figure it out but this this little shift we go into a community like Medicine Hat where we don't have a church and we do a street store one when we first did a first street store we did after we did one street store all of a sudden another church in the community a Lutheran church 
donates a brand new portion of their building and says, we want my city care here. We do a second street store, and all of a sudden at the ministerial, 16 churches go, can we be a part of that? I'm like, okay, well, there's, there's unity, redeeming, you focus on a city. In Lethbridge, we've had um, multiple churches, suddenly in the last two weeks, multiple, multiple churches in town, suddenly come to us and say, can we come alongside? Can we work with you guys? Can we, can we, can we be a part of My City Care too? Listen, 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 listen. I'm saying something. There's so much more going on, so many opportunities going on. Um, but I'm saying these things because, because it's not, not, that, not that we're good or that we're advertising any different. I'm just saying that we're just... When you align with Jesus' kingdom, the gates of hell will not prevail again. When you align with it, the fruit of it proves whether it's on track or not on track. He says, you'll know by the fruit. And when I see, just, we just haven't even got started yet. When I just see like little, little things opening up like this, and I'm going, okay, God, you're, you're about the cities. And Nehemiah started telling stories about, man, the king let me come. And he resourced me with it. And... And, and the guys are like, okay, well, okay, we don't know. I mean, it still didn't, the walls didn't build themselves. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. And look at this, and then verse 19, here, here we go. But Sanballat, the uh, Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, the official, and Geshem of the Arab heard it, and they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Immediately opposition comes up, and the way they, they come and approach is they're like, are you in rebellion? Which is why, listen to me carefully, which is why we have to follow the protocols and, and follow the commands and understand the commands of the kingdom. Nehemiah understood the kingdom. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. He understood the kingdom, and including understanding the kingdom of God and that there's a higher king, he also understood that he was still needed to be in submission to the, the little K king, his own king, and ask permission. So when he gets accused of what he's doing is not right because it's different, and he gets accused of saying, you're being rebellious. He can say he was above reproach and saying, no, I've, I got the king's permission. And he, he just completely ignored it because he had done things the right way. This is why it's important for us to understand the kingdom. So I answered them and said, the God of heaven, here's the kingdom answer again. The God of heaven, the king of kings, will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, are the citizens of that kingdom, will arise and build. But you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. In other words, we do because we're Jewish, and this, we understand that this is the king of kings territory designated for us. This is, this is a kingdom answer. You see that. All right, now, bear with me because I'm going to read chapter 3. And there's 80-some names in here, Jewish names, that I have to read. And I'm going to put them on the screen so you can just see how poorly I butcher these names. But I need you to see something in chapter 3. This is, this is remarkable. If you have your Bibles, follow along. This, is, this was remarkable. If not, we can, you can follow on the screens. Chapter 3 starts this way. Then Eliashab, the high priest, arose with his brothers, the priest, and built the high priest and his brothers arose and built. 
This is how he starts chapter 3. The high priest arose with the priests and built. I, just, I need you to see that. It meant something to Nehemiah that it didn't matter position or calling or that's not my job. Even the high priest took off his robes, rolled up his sleeves, and went to work and built. Okay, this is, this is good. This is not just some of us. Look at this. Then, it, then he goes on. And I love this chapter because there's so much in here. They consecrated the wall to the tower of the hundred and, and the tower of Hanel. And then verse 2 says, Next to him the men of Jericho built, and next to them Zakur the son of Imri built. Now the sons of that guy, he built the fish gate. They laid his beams and hung his doors and its bolts with bars. And next to him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hekaz, made repairs. And next to him, Meshuzalem, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshuzadel. Yeah, there. All of those words. And anyway, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, the son of uh, Banna uh, made repairs. Moreover, next to him, the Tekanites made repairs. But their nobles did not support the work of their masters. Nehemiah starts listing who did the work. And he also took notice of who didn't do the work. And you know who didn't do the work? The high and mighty nobles who thought this was beneath them. And Nehemiah noticed. <laughs> Look at this. And then verse 6. And Jehoiada, the son of um, Paziah, the Meshuzalem, the son of that guy, repaired Besodai, the, the old gate. They laid his beams and hung his doors with bolts and his bars. And next to him, uh, Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the, the Maronathite, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, and also the repairs for the official uh, seat of, of the governor of province uh, beyond the river. And next to him, Uziel, the son of Hariah, the of the goldsmith. That's not their. You know, this is this isn't outside of their scope of expertise. Their goldsmiths made repairs. And next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers. He's a perfumer. He's going to get his hands dirty. This is not his expertise. He's he's made repairs, and they restored Jerusalem as as far as the broad wall. And next to them, uh, Rephaiah, the son of. Of her, the official of the half district of Jerusalem made repairs. And next to him, Jedediah, the son of Harumaph, yeah, that guy, uh, made repairs opposite the, the house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of, yeah, I'm not even going to try. Is that up there? Yeah. Um, that guy made repairs. Um, okay. Um, verse 11, Malchiah, the son of Harim, and Hashab, the son of, Yep, Hayath Moab uh, repaired another section in the tower of furnaces. And next to him, Shalom, the son of Helen, yes, um, uh, official of the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. He and his daughters made repairs. Everyone's involved. Hanun, and the inhabitants of, of Zer. I mean, you can go on. You read these, and you just goes on. It goes on for another thirty verses. It's it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And you know what's amazing? When I read these, these verses, what I, what I do in the Bible, when I read the Bible, I get to Matthew 1 and I read the begats, you know, the whole begats, and I just skip it. I'm like, and I read chapter 3 of Nehemiah, and I know what's coming in chapter 4 and chapter 6, and I know what's coming, and I'm excited about what's coming, and I read all these. I was like, I'm just going to skip it. 
But I want, we're going to put, look at these names. That's, that's half of them. Okay? Look at these names. There's 43 names plus other groups that are included in here. And Nehemiah took notice of who, who did what. And, did, and think about this for a second. Not only did Nehemiah notice, but here we are over 3,000 years later, still reading the names of guys who all they did is some of them is repair a 10-foot section. 10-foot section of a wall. And as you get down into the chapter, what you can discover later on in the chapter is that you get down to the chapter and it's all they did is repair the wall in front of their own houses, which Nehemiah is smart. You're not going to skip corners if the, you're not going to want the wall in front of your house to be weaker. Smart. But listen to this. Listen. These are names recorded in the Bible. The Bible. The Bible. And these aren't, these aren't prophets. Some of these are priests. And all it says in one verse later on, it just says, and the priest did this. These are names recorded in the Bible that Nehemiah noticed who did what and where they did it and what they did. And he noticed how it, nothing that they did was insignificant. And we could easily, listen, the world system, we could easily read these and just say, Nehemiah rebuilt the wall. And Nehemiah's like, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Let me share with you who built. Let's go to the next slide. Look at these names. You read those ones? Nehemiah, that's, not, that's a different Nehemiah. Okay, that's, that's a different one. Next slide. Thank God I don't have to pronounce all those. See, all these names included. And I put those names up there because, listen, this is what, this is what happens. Is that you and I have a tendency of thinking that what I do is nothing. It's insignificant. What could I possibly do? And I want you to know that there is nothing that we do on Sundays, nothing on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays that isn't getting recorded in heaven. And if we take our job back and rebuild, listen, these names, did these guys create revival? Actually, they did. That's the sneak peek into the end of Nehemiah. <laughs> but the revival they created, they're like, well, what did I do to contribute to that? Nehemiah's like, your name's recorded in, for, in history because you made a difference. And when we talk about rebuilding cities and the church's job is take, to rebuild a city, it doesn't happen on a Sunday morning it doesn't happen by just the pastors and the, and the leaders. It doesn't happen with insignificant little words. I'm, I'm just going to work. What, I'm not. You don't take your Christian hat off and you rebuild your calling to rebuild cities and restore homes. You don't take it off when you go to work. When you go to work and you might think, well, it's just, it's just a job. It's, I'm just 
it's just paycheck. Uh-uh. What if we flipped that and said, man, if it's a 10-foot section in my city, I'm going to go to work. Paul said this in Ephesians 4. He's urging the church, the early church. He says this in Ephesians 4, verse 1. He says, I urge you. It's a big word. I urge you. He's not writing, he's not writing this letter to the pastors of, of Ephesus. He's, he's not writing. He wrote a letter to the pastor of Ephesus. That's called 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. He, he's writing this to the church. This letter is to the church. He's like, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He's not writing to the pastors about their calling. He's writing to the church. In other words, every single one of us has a calling from heaven. All of us are made on purpose for a purpose for such a time as this. You have a calling. You have a destiny. The reason why I bring that up, the reason I bring that up is because we assume in our Western thinking, in our Western theologies, and this is what I'm trying to break, we're trying to break some of these traditions and these Western theologies. I'm trying to break this. We assume in our Western theologies that when we say I, God has called me or that person is called, that you can point to me as a pastor who's preaching saying, Pastor Kelly is called, or Pastor Ralph is called, or Pastor Jeremy's called, or Pastor Timothy's, you know, Pastor Tim is called, or Pastor Jen is called. Like you can, you can, you can point to some of us and say, well, I can see your calling. But a lot of us have a hard time going, well, but, yeah, but I'm just, I'm just, I just attend. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. All of us, all of us are called. And you can see this in Nehemiah 3. Come on. All of us are called. And Paul's saying this, and he goes on. He says, okay, does that mean because we're called, does that mean that we can lord it over other people? And going, I, I, I'm called. Yeah, we can lord it over. And wait, no, no. Paul just, he addresses that too. Next verse, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. There it is again, love. And then he gets down to verse 7, and I love this. He's, he's explaining this calling, what this is all about. He explains it. He says, but to each one of us, to each one of us, to each one of us, that's every single one of us, has been given as a, a grace that is God's unmerited favor. Every one of us, whether you feel it or you don't feel it, whether you feel significant or insignificant, every one of us has been given God's unmerited, unusual favor as Christ has apportioned it. Each one of us, not just a few, all of us. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does, what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying that Jesus modeled the kingdom way more than anyone else and, and didn't have to do this, but the kingdom way is if you want to, if you want to be great, you got to be the least. And Jesus left his throne in heaven and came down to earth here. He left his, his high place, his throne, his kingdom. He came down and ascended here. And if he can do that, this is what Paul's pushing us to do. If he can do that, then we should take that same posture and saying, there's, I don't need to lord it over anybody, but I have a calling. I have a purpose. I can do this. And then the verse that's always quoted, the verses that are always quoted in, in Ephesians 4, especially in charismatic circles, it says this, so Christ gave himself, himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers 
But Pastor Kelly, I thought you said we're all called. No, no, no. <laughs> See something here. Not all of us are called to these, but he lists these, but this is what he says. These are to equip, which means skill develop his people to do the work. One translation says to, he says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, the work of the ministry is not this. Because my job is not to do the work of the ministry. If I'm called to be a pastor, my job is to skill develop you to do the work of the ministry. And if we see this, wait, wait, if we see this, we see that the work of the ministry is probably what happens outside of these walls, not what happens inside these walls. Inside of these walls, this is equipping time. This is skill development time. Outside of these walls, we all go to work. And what I noted in Nehemiah 3, verse 1, is that even the priests rolled up their sleeves and went to work. That means I get to work too. <laughs> to equip, to skill develop the people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And then verse 16 says this. From him, the whole body, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. As each part does its work. Let me ask you a question. Nehemiah chapter 3. Can you imagine what would have happened if just one of the names Nehemiah listed decided goldsmith, perfumers, like, yeah, perfumers, like, yeah, I'm going to get stinky and that's, that's going to affect my business. And I can't do it. Can you imagine if just one decided that they weren't going to build their section? Do you know what happens to cities that are walls in those days? I mean, they already have enemies. We've seen that. They have already have enemies. If they had one reproach in the wall, the entire project would have gone down. And what Paul says is this is what happens in the church. He says if each one of us does its work, we build up the body of Christ in love. That means, I believe it means that if all of us go to work in rebuilding a city and restoring homes, if we all go to work and, and our work could be a 10-foot 10, 10 section at a cubicle at our job, it doesn't matter. If we all go to work and we and we love and we out love and we out serve and we out give if we all did that if we all took this we could take a city each part doing its work you know what's fascinating to me is it, when we read the bible today we we read it in chapter and verses and all the rest of it and but when paul wrote this letter he didn't write it in chapter and verses it's just a letter and we break up chapter and verses, and, and you know, we typically will take one verse and we'll put it in context and teach what we want out of it, but we typically don't flow. We'll take a chapter and we'll just stop there, and that's, that's okay. You can do that. But sometimes you just got to read the whole letter and re read it as it's written. It flows. What's amazing to me in Ephesians is in Ephesians 4, 
Paul is calling out every single one in the church to do it, its job, to do their job, and to, and to each part doing its work, and that you're all called, and, he's, and he's, there's apostles and prophets, and he's making sure, make sure that you, know, you're, you understand your calling and your destiny, what you're called to do, that you're all called. And then right after that, he gets into chapter 5, and in chapter 5, he writes this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, Paul says, you're called, you're chosen, you have a destiny, you have been given a portion of grace of God's unmerited favor, that you're part of the family, that you, that you have a, he says, but don't use that calling, that title, that, that, that to lord it over anybody else. You still have to live the principles of the kingdom, and the principles of the kingdom is submission. In other words, Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you've got to become the least. And if you want to lead, you have to serve. So church, I think our job, this is exciting, our job is to stop trying to dominate our society And to make our nation a Christian nation and to demand that we have our rights and demand that, that, that we, all the rest of it. Come on. We can't, you can't uplift from the top. That I think us taking our job back is to go, no, no, like we've tried it the world's way and we're not as good at it as them. I think it's time to go the kingdom way. And the kingdom way is to submit to one another. You know what submission means? Sub means beneath. Submarine, beneath water. Submission means we get beneath another's mission. So how do you do kingdom work? How do you rebuild a city? You go to work and you submit yourself to your coworkers. You give, what does that mean? Does that mean you have to do everything they say? No, that means that you make it your job to, to, to push their mission, to uplift their mission. But I'm the boss. Exactly. What if the greatest leader was servant leadership? <laughs> giving the mission of your employees, giving, supporting and uplifting others. I think, I just happen to think that our, that our mission, this is today's takeaway, our mission is submission. Our mission as Christians is submission. And what I love about Nehemiah 3, what I love about it, is that Nehemiah, he encouraged, he, he gave opportunity, but he also celebrated everyone doing their, their job and everyone doing their as little or big as whatever it might be. He, he, he acknowledged them. He also acknowledged the nobles who couldn't bring themselves to submit to leaving their crown aside and getting their hands dirty. I, I'm a noble. I don't do work. That's not the kingdom way. The kingdom way is our mission is submission. And our mission, what if, what if we took our job back and went from lording over people to submitting by outloving, outgiving, 
out serving, at work, in our neighborhood, at school, even at the hockey arena. What if? It's not going to make a difference, Pastor Kelly. It's not going to make a difference. I, I beg to differ. I wonder if the perfumer just put a, put a brick on a, a wall outside of his house. He and his families, the goldsmith, the man with his daughters. I wonder if they thought what they were doing didn't matter. put one brick on you don't see the whole scope of the picture but I promise you that one brick goes missing it affects the whole picture isn't that true let's take our job back our mission is submission let's pray Lord we thank you so much for your word and thank you Lord for for giving each of us a calling. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd stir that calling in each of our hearts. Forgive me, Lord, where I've reduced our faith to a weekly gathering. Where we've abdicated our jobs and our responsibilities. Pray that we have eyes to see and ears to hear what you have going on. And I pray that we'd see the opportunity this week, give us the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose again from the dead, you will be safe. So I want to run through a prayer with you right now that does exactly that. And it's not joining a church. It's not joining a religion. It's simply just a relationship with God. So uh, if you'd like, close your eyes, bow your head, repeat this prayer after me. So dear Jesus, I confess that you are God. And I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you now to become my Lord, to become my Savior, to become my friend. I thank you that my past is past and that I can begin anew with you today. My heart is yours. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So guys, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, there is a link in the comment section for you that you can click on, fill out that form, uh, and we just love to be able to be a part of your journey, help you out in any way uh, that we can. I'd love to, to give you some resources just to help you out uh, on this new uh, journey that you are on, and congratulations on an amazing, amazing decision.